Deuteronomy 6. This morning we're beginning six weeks of focus upon marriage and family. There are several God-ordained institutions that we find established in the Word of God. The first is that of marriage and family. Some might split it up into two. Some might bring it together to one. We really see marriage recorded as the first institution established as one man and one woman for life. Then we see uh, family, the means by which truth is passed from one generation to another. We might uh, categorize all of that as the institution of the family. The next uh, institution that we see in the Scriptures is government, instituted soon after Noah's flood. It's a ruling body over men that provides regulation and protection. And then in the New Testament, we see the institution of the church established. A spiritual body of Holy Spirit-indwelled people who form themselves into local physical bodies for the sake of mutual accountability and edification. And it is that institution of family, marriage and family, we might say, which will consume the next six weeks of our messages, both a.m. and p.m., I warned you a little bit um, last week that I was going to begin this morning with fathers and husbands, and it seems a little bit strange, we might say, to begin um, on Mother's Day preaching to fathers and husbands, but uh, in a manner of speaking, um, it makes sense. Also, it's, it's somewhat necessary, because the man is the one I ought to be preaching to first. The father is the one I ought to be speaking to first if we're speaking of the family. Um, if we're speaking of marriage, because it's the man's responsibility. It's the father's responsibility. So I'm going to speak to the man first. Also, um, men, you have the opportunity today to listen, to learn, and to adjust. uh, To shore up perhaps some areas of your lives that have been lacking. Some areas where you need to be better as a husband, better as a father. So what a better gift to give to our ladies on Mother's Day than the opportunity for the men Um, to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in their lives and to become better fathers and better husbands. So we will be speaking to fathers this morning, husbands this evening, and then next week we'll be mothers and wives, and then we'll be speaking to the children, and then we'll have several weeks of messages that kind of overlap depending upon the particular topic. And this week we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's a fairly familiar passage to those who... Um, have worked in children's ministry or, or who have heard messages on children um, before. You know, marriage and family is essential to the proper functioning of the church. It's essential to God's plan to testify of the gospel to the world and to pass the gospel from generation to generation. Even if society were to completely cut off the ability of Christians to have outreach and evangelism, there would still be the ability of fathers to pass down the faith to the sons and the ability of families to live out the faith before the world. Marriage and family are essential elements to proper spiritual and physical maturity in the growth of the next generation. If we're going to successfully reach our children the family is going to be a large part of the venue in which they're going to be reached. One of the final reasons why we need to have this series is because family is under heavy attack today. Society and culture are eroding marriages and families at an increasingly rapid rate. Divorce rates are well above 50% in this nation. The distance between children and parents is growing rapidly as children have access to social media, cell phones, the social aspect of our children is, is, uh, there's a dynamic that's never been known before in society. Culture preaches incessantly that parents can't understand children, that children ought to be independent from their parents. Our entertainment culture is making parents increasingly lazy 
choosing rather to place their children in front of a television or in front of a video game machine in order to uh, occupy them as their babysitter instead of parents taking it upon themselves to interact with their children. And even in the church over the past 40, 50, 60 years, we have seen heavy separation of children from their parents so that not only physically speaking, but spiritually speaking, many parents don't even really know what's going on in the lives of their children spiritually. For all these reasons and more, we need to take time to focus upon marriage and family. We need to take time to shore up our devotion to this institution that God has established to perpetuate the faith and to be a testimony to the world. And we'll do it this morning through Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look with me beginning in verse 4. We'll read through verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house, and on thy gate. The context within which we find ourselves is that of the second generation of the children of Israel just prior to their entrance to the promised land. Deuteronomy is kind of a sermon by Moses. And it's a sermon to the second generation reminding them of their responsibility just before they enter into the land. Much of what God had given in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers uh, had been to the first generation, to the, the fathers of those who are hearing this message, 40 years prior and then throughout those 40 years, uh, particularly in the book of Numbers, we see the record of those years. But it was very important that Moses was going to give to the nation a reiteration of all the expectations of God before they entered into that land of rest, before they entered into the promised land. Now this generation, the second generation, had seen firsthand the fatal effects of rebellion and of unbelief. Even though they had personally experienced the good hand of God, they had seen what God had done to their parents. They had seen the effects of their parents' sins. However, they were still being provided for. This generation was still being fed manna. As a matter of fact, probably many in this generation had never known anything but manna. This generation was still being led by Moses, by the cloud. In fact, this generation perhaps had never known anything but wandering in the wilderness, living in tents. In the previous chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses had taken time to reiterate the essential elements of the law for the people. And he had reminded them that they had entered into this divine covenant with very particular expectations placed upon them. It was a physical covenant with physical expectations and physical blessings and physical cursings. And it was the responsibility of the fathers to pass this expectation down from generation to generation. Sure, Moses was there. Moses was there right now and he was able to command this second generation to do the things that God had also commanded the first generation to do. And yet Moses was not going to be with them in the promised land. They were not always going to have that leader. They were going to have um, families. They were going to be scattered. They were going to have their individual tribes. And the fathers needed to up the ante a little bit. Because the fathers were going to be responsible to pass down this knowledge from generation to generation. They needed to hear the blessings of the covenant. They needed to hear the consequences of breaking that covenant. And today we find ourselves in a very different situation than they had there in Israel's day. You and I don't have a physical covenant that we're under with the Lord. We're not under the Mosaic covenant. We are not under physical blessings and physical cursings as Israel was. We don't have to pass down the responsibilities and the consequences of a physical covenant as Israel did. But... 
the command that we're going to observe today in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is not inherently an element of the Mosaic Covenant. It transcends the Mosaic Covenant and teaches concerning the necessity of a personal relationship between the people of God and God. And the necessity of passing that relationship down and the teaching of that relationship from father to son. And the command we will look at today will help us understand why Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Paul said that not everyone in Israel was of Israel. And what Paul is saying there is that though every person in Israel is under the Mosaic Covenant, every person in Israel was accountable to the Mosaic Law, entering into the Mosaic Covenant by circumcision and then following the Mosaic Covenant had absolutely nothing to do with whether or not a person in Israel was a believer or not. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 9, says they're not all of Israel, Israel being the covenant name given to Jacob, which means prince with God. Israel, when God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, it was a sign in which Jacob was beginning his personal relationship with the Lord. It, in, it, it indicated when he, his name was changed, not an entrance into the Mosaic Covenant, which didn't even exist yet, but rather into the covenant of grace through faith that we call salvation in the Word of God. See, the Mosaic Law was a spiritual extension of the physical covenant that God had made with Israel. And it was impossible for the nation to keep outside of a spiritual commitment to God. And so, though they had their checklist. Israel had their checklist that they were supposed to go down. You can't eat these. You, you can't um, do these things. You need to rest on this day of the week. All of these physical laws, the physical laws were not supposed to be the means by which they were saved. The physical laws were meant to be an extension of the love that they had toward God as they accepted His revelation in faith. And it is this foundation this spiritual foundation of Israel that we're going to look at today and we'll be able to apply it very strongly to our own lives as well. And this spiritual foundation is where God's dealings with man throughout every age, every, we might say, dispensation, it all comes together. That though God revealed Himself to men in different ways and often interacted with men in different ways, Yet the consistent strand that runs throughout all of God's dealings with mankind is that God has revealed Himself to us and that we are responsible to respond to the revelation of God through faith and love. So to the degree to which God has revealed Himself to us, we are responsible then to respond to God in turn. And so the command we will see today is the command to love. But not only to love, but also to teach our children how to love. And when we learn these truths, we will see that the responsibility was ordained by God to be the Father's responsibility, first and foremost. And while we know that it's not always the Father who is leading the children into a proper relationship with God, we who are believing fathers understand that the spiritual expectation and necessity would be that we, as the leader of the family, are the ones who would lead our children into a proper understanding of God and a proper love for God and the means by which to serve the Lord appropriately. And so the Scriptures begin in verse 4. The Lord our God is one Lord. And verse 5 says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. The foremost command that God gave on that day through Moses, the foremost command was not simply that they toe the line, was not simply that they check off their list, was not simply that they do what they're supposed to do. It was that they loved the Lord their God. It was much deeper than simply obedience. It was obedience compelled by love. 
Many of us in this room have known what it is to love somebody or something absolutely. Knowing what it is to love somebody to the extent that you would do anything for them, to literally pour everything that you have into their pleasure or their happiness or their contentment. This is what God wants with you. See, God loved you enough to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross for you. God loved you enough to give the most precious of His possessions, His Son Jesus. And what God desires in return is that you would be willing to love Him the same way He loves you. Not a divided love, not a segmented love, not a convenient love, but a love that comprises the totality of your heart and your soul and your might. You know, we can think of ways in which we manifest this kind of a love. I think of my daughters when I think of this kind of a love. The things that fathers and mothers do for daughters can be kind of, or for children, can be kind of crazy sometimes, huh? We're running around cleaning up after their messes. Our girls are potty training right now, and so I'm dabbing the carpet where they wet. And, and, uh, and you know, all of these things that you're doing, and you're doing it because you love them. The ladies' tea was yesterday. The ladies had a wonderful time at that tea. And, and I was responsible for, the, to, for my girls for a few hours. And so I took them out and we went out to eat. And I took them to a park and, and they ran me around the park. And I was tired and I, was, I, I busted a knuckle while I was trying to chase them as they went various ways. And one went this way and one went that way. And, and I'm helping them up things and I'm pushing them on the swings. And, and uh, they both want to be pushed on the swings. And of course, there's two of them. So I'm kind of doing one of these things. And then one wants this swing and one wants that swing. So I'm over here and then I'm over here and then I'm over here. And the things that I'm doing for my daughters, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. But why am I doing that for them? Well, I'm doing it for them because I love them. And I am, I am purposefully putting myself in a position where I am meeting their needs and their desires even at the expense of my poor knees and my poor back and my poor knuckles. Fathers, this message is for you today, but it will apply to everyone. We haven't really hit on why it's for fathers directly yet, but we'll get there. But let me begin by saying this. Fathers, if you're going to be a proper father, a godly father, a father that is doing the right things for his family according to God's Word, it starts with your love for God. Notice the first thing God does not say is, Fathers, teach your children to love God. It says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Fathers, if you're going to be a godly father, one that trains his children up to love the Lord and serve the Lord, it begins with your love for God. It begins with your devotion for God. It begins with your service to God. And it goes from there. And this first step is essential. Because without it, our ability to teach our children what is right will be absolutely stunted by our inability to show our children what's right. May I say that again? If we are not loving God, fathers, as we ought, our ability to teach our children what is right will be absolutely stunted by our inability to show our children what is right. So Moses continues commanding. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then he says in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. If God's words are in our heart, teaching them to our children is not a chore. It's simply a natural extension of our lives. If God's Word has rooted itself in our hearts, then it comes out in our actions and then our children see us living out God's Word, not just hear us telling them God's Word. This means that we will not have hypocrisy in our teaching. This means we will not have manipulation in our teaching. Our teaching will simply be genuine living, then supplemented by careful instruction regarding the methods and reasons for our choices and for our actions. And this is what you want, Father. You do not want your teaching to be do as I say, not as I do. 
You do not want to be teaching your children how to love God and obey God in theory. You want to be showing them how to love God and obey God and then showing them that the reason why you do what you do is because God's Word says it and I believe it and I'm going to obey it because I love God and His words are in my heart. And that's what Moses commands here. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I have spoken to you today will be in thine heart. And now, now that you love God, now that you're serving God, now that the Word of God is in your heart, then we get to verse 7 and notice what it says. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Have you ever noticed how much more effective teaching is when you have experience, when you're teaching out of experience and you're, you're teaching out of passion and you're not just teaching out of a book. This became very apparent to my wife and I when we were in college and then after uh, we finished our undergraduate degree, I began teaching in that co- at that college and so I was teaching there and, and then now as I'm a pastor, this becomes very apparent as well. It's so much easier to teach something that you understand that you've experienced. There would be certain professors in various fields that would be in some of the classes that my wife and I would take who never actually worked in the real world. They'd only ever known the field from study. They'd never known the field from experience. There were those professors who had actually been in the field and who had actually experienced some things. Those who had actually worked in the business world. And so as they're teaching that business class, they can give you personal experiences And then there are those professors who had never actually worked in the business field. They were perpetual academics. And so they were just telling you what the book said. And it was always obvious which professors had experience and which professors were teaching you out of the book. There's a difference between someone who's worked in the computer field and someone who's read it in a book. Someone who's worked as a nurse and someone who's read it in a book. The, the experience changes your teaching because you know how things actually are in the real world and not just the ideologies of the textbook. And it's not just a difference of passion. It's truly a difference of experience and knowledge. And as we think about what is being said here, what Moses is teaching here, the experience that heightens the knowledge, the experience that heightens the authority, the experience that makes something seem more authentic, this is how the Christian life is as well. We can say the right things whether we live them out or not, can't we? We can be that way. We can say that you should not steal, that you should not lie, that you should not cheat, that you should not lust or covet or steal or be dishonest. And those lessons are just as true if you're a liar as if you don't lie. A liar can teach that you shouldn't lie. A thief can teach that you shouldn't steal. And it doesn't change the fact that his message is true. But it does change the validity or the authority with which he presents it. Fathers, as you try to cultivate godly children, godly young people, young people who will grow up to serve and love God, the absolute best way you can teach them to do it is by living it out yourself, is by showing them through your example, is by being a godly man, is by serving the Lord with all your heart. Because you can be like that professor that sits his children down every night and says, this is what the Bible says, and then your children wake up the next morning and they see you not doing what you said the Bible says to do. And it may even turn out that they recognize that the Bible's authority is absolute and they will follow the Bible. But there's also a much greater chance that your children are going to say, well, Dad doesn't do this. Well, my parents don't act this way. They seem to be doing okay. So why should it matter to me? See, if you're teaching your children to 
live out the Word of God and to obey the Word of God, you're going to be teaching them to live out a life that's very countercultural. You'll be teaching them to live in such a way that people will scorn them. People will laugh at them. People will reject them for the way they live. You will be teaching them to live in denial of their own flesh, which is dead in sin and desirous of sin continually. And you'll be teaching them to replace those dead desires and actions uh, with love for God and obedience to God. A desire for that which is unseen at the expense of that which is seen. And the only way children are going to make the choice to follow that which is unseen as opposed to that which is seen is when in their hearts they recognize truly that this is right, that this is truth, that this is authentic. And parents, fathers, you have the greatest ability to validate the unseen world through your life in the hearts of your children. Of anything else in this world, your life has the greatest ability to validate the message of the Gospel. The way you live, what you choose to do, what you choose not to do, where you choose to go, where you choose not to go. This is not where children find out whether something is right or wrong. This is where they find out if it can be done and it ought to be done. This is where they see that a man who's serving the Lord and rejecting the things of the world can be happy, can have that joy, that they're not actually, they don't actually feel like they're giving up anything when they're giving up the world. They're running to something far better. They're certainly not going to find that from the world. If it's going to be validated in the hearts of your children, it's going to be validated as they see your example. It's the best way for them to know how real the gospel is. Dad, when you are living proof of the truthfulness of God's word, your children may still reject the truth. That's their decision. But rest assured, they won't reject it because they haven't seen proof of its authenticity. Because if you're living out the word of God, then they have seen proof of the truth. So we are to be men who lead our families into a love for the Lord by having a love for the Lord ourselves. We're to be men that, that help our children hide the Word of God in their hearts by hiding it in our hearts. But it doesn't stop there, fathers. We live a life of obedient love unto God. We teach our children to do the same by example, but we also must, must teach them to do the same by habits, routines, by creating in our children a lifestyle of God-awareness and God-obedience. And that's what the second half of verse 7 through verse 9 says. Look with me in verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. We see in verse 7, several commands. God awareness is the idea that the things of God are permeating every element of our lives. And verse 7 indicates that intentional conversations concerning God's character and expectations should take center stage in every aspect of our day. When you're sitting still in your house, or when you're on a walk, or when you're out shopping, or when you're doing yard work, the Word of God should be taught diligently to your children. God should be on your children's minds, and you should be the one that is helping your children think that way. Whether you are ready to go to bed or just waking up in the morning, the day should be bookended by intentional thoughts of God and His Word and His character and His expectations. As God spoke to Israel that day, He was so adamant about the necessity of God's Word permeating every aspect of a child's existence that He called upon the people in a figurative fashion to bind the Word of God upon their foreheads as a sign, to make it as frontlets between their eyes, and to write it on the, po- the doorposts of their house and their gates. Now, as the nation of Israel developed, they actually took these commands very literally. 
they actually, the Pharisees actually bound the Word of God to their foreheads. They had the Word of God on, they had a little box that they put the Word of God in on their foreheads. They had the Word of God on their gates. But God was not necessarily intending this to be a literal command of the Mosaic Law. It was intended to be a figurative command calling upon the nation to have unwavering devotion to the divine commands of God, so much so that the Word of God was upon their minds and their hearts and it guided their every step. That was what God had intended here by His figurative command that they would bind it to their foreheads, that it would be frontlets between their eyes, and that it would be written on their doorposts. And so it should be with us, fathers, God's Word should become such an integral part of what we are and who we are that His commands never leave us. When we go to do something with our hands, that action reflects the truth of God's Word. You might be asking, well, what are those frontlets? They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, the Scriptures tell us. Perhaps you've seen something like this before at a parade or at a rodeo. Have you ever seen horses with what we call blinders on? These blinders remove the horse's peripheral vision. Horses have very good vision. And these blinders are meant to direct the horses specifically so that they can only see what's in front of them. So that if there's someone running to the side or if there's something going on um, around them, they will not be distracted by it and spooked but they will only see what's going on directly in front of them. And this is how God describes His Word, and this is how God, fathers, wants, our, wants the Word to be in our families. God wants our families to be obeying the Word of God as if they're frontlets for the eyes of your family, for the eyes of your children, for your eyes, so that as your children are walking through this life, they are taking each step following the expectations of God, and they're not being distracted by what's happening in the world around them because the Word of God has directed them, the Word of God has framed them, their mind and their hearts and their intentions and their desires so much that the Word of God is literally keeping them on the path of righteousness. And that is what God is saying here as He commands that the Word of God would be frontlets between their eyes. When we point ourselves in a certain direction, that direction should be informed by the Word of God. And then as God's Word fills our hearts, it will keep us going in that direction, free from distraction, free from failure, and free from stumbling. Then he says in uh, verse 9, Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. Again, this is figurative in a manner of speaking. As God commands that the Israelites would fill their hearts homes, not just their minds. Their entire environment should be filled with a recognition of God's Word and God's expectations upon them. Fathers, our home should be a place filled with God's Word. Not only for the sake of those living in it, but also as a testimony for those who would interact with us. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that you have to have Bible verses all over your house, although that's not a bad thing. But your Home should be an environment that is filled with God's Word. That is filled with God's expectations. Your home, like the church, should be a place of rest from the world. Should be a place of protection from the world. You should not have to, your children should not have to struggle in their own home with the world. And that's what God is saying here. That's what God is commanding here. Your home should not be a place where your children have to struggle against the world. Now this is very difficult today because the world comes into our homes very easily, does it not? Radio, television, internet. The world is is a click away. The world is one power button away at pretty much any given time. But fathers, the expectation upon you is that your home would be a place of safety. That your home would be a place where children come and they're reminded that they serve a God in heaven. And that there are expectations upon them by by that God by virtue of their salvation. It should be a place where your family doesn't have to fight temptation. 
should be a place of safety. So fathers, let's apply this morning. Three points as we apply. I'll have to read them off to you. Point number one. Fathers, be your family's spiritual leader. I've taken something for granted this whole sermon. I've taken for granted the fact that God is speaking to fathers and He's expecting fathers to take the lead in this. But let's not take it for granted as we apply. Fathers, you are the person in the family that has been ordained by God to lead. So do it. Lead your wife. Don't let her lead you. Lead your children. Don't let them lead you. How countercultural is that message? Don't let your children lead the way you lead the way. Don't let your children be the ones that are going off in the direction they want. You point your children in the direction they need to go. You lead. And lead by example. We live in a society that attacks the Father's authority at every turn. Television, movies, cartoons, they all present the Father in a certain way, don't they? Have you ever noticed the trend of how mass media presents the Father? Incompetent, ignorant, clueless. That's how fathers are presented in mainstream culture. The mother, well, she's the organizer. The mother's the one that has everything under control. She's juggling the kids. She's juggling the home. She may be juggling a job too. She's, she's doing everything. The father comes home and he mumbles a few words. He goes and sits down on the couch. He eats his potato chips and he watches TV while mom is doing everything. And, and he says, how was your day today? And mom says something and he doesn't even understand what she says. And he, he decides to do something. And wouldn't you know it, he did it wrong. And mom has to clean up his mess. And whenever, when the kids need something, they go to mom because I don't even, don't even bother asking dad. And huh, that's, that, you know, it's really funny. The mother's the organizer. The children are always right. The father's just a mindless buffoon that's along for the ride. That's how society paints fathers. Folks, it's wrong. And this cultural stigma doesn't just affect the family. This cultural stigma affects you, fathers, as well. The culture is trying to get you to become what it has labeled you. Culture wants you to be the kind of guy that gets home from work, loafs the rest of the night, and takes no responsibility for his family. Culture wants you to be the kind of guy that leaves the education of his children up to someone else, be it the mother, be it the the school, or be it the church. Culture wants you to be lazy, careless, and ignorant. May I put it this way? Culture wants you to be the Sunday night football beer commercial guy. That, that kind of the guy. The guy that plays video games and, and sits on his couch and don't you dare ask him to do anything on Sunday but watch football. Don't you dare ask him to, to do anything when it's time to go do what he wants to do. That's what culture has painted the father to be. And fathers, it doesn't just affect the family's expectation of you. It has affected your expectation of yourself. The reason culture wants you to be this way is because the deficiency of strong male spiritual and physical leaders in the home allows other entities to take over that responsibility. And so the school system or the welfare system or the government or even the church, Satan is using culture to strip parents of their authority and their responsibility because the weaker the family, the stronger a foothold Satan can have in that home. Because then culture can be the thing that's teaching your children. Then culture can be the thing that's influencing your children. And that's exactly what Satan wants because culture will always be anti-God. Until the day that Jesus Christ sets up the millennial kingdom, our culture will never be one for Christ. We are not dominion theologians. The church will never take dominion of this world. Scriptures don't teach that the church will take dominion of this world. We cannot salvage culture. We can only be lights in a dark world. And fathers, when you fail to take leadership, when you fail to direct your family, it leaves a hole and someone will be directing your family. Someone will be teaching your children. Someone will be directing your children. And if it's not you, who will it be? 
Will it be a teacher? Will it be a television show? Will it be a pastor? Who is it that's going to be teaching your children the things that you're not? Because they're going to learn it somehow. Will it be their best friend? A neighbor? Who's going to fill that void? Why is it that we at Legacy Baptist Church are what we are? Why do we have all the children in the service with us this morning? Why don't we have a Sunday school downstairs? Why are we a non-age segregated body? Why don't we have youth groups? Well, it's because beyond these doors, it is difficult enough for you as fathers to be the spiritual and the physical leaders in the home. It's hard enough in this society for you fathers to take the responsibility that God has given to you. And this church is determined to enable you in your leadership to lead spiritually and to lead physically through integrated services that encourage you to know what your children are learning and then your children know what you are learning and it allows you to to talk about it throughout the week. It allows you to, to come together and to understand together what the Word of God is saying. Fathers, by God's grace, this is helping you raise your children in a society where children are naturally separated from their parents. And that's the desire of Legacy Baptist Church. And that's why we do what we do. We have an integrated Sunday school that encourages you, fathers, to spend time with your children throughout the week reading the Bible and talking about it together. This Sunday school also encourages you, fathers, to spend time throughout the week memorizing Scripture with your children. As a family, fathers, your children are seeing you Read the Bible. Your children are seeing you think about what the Word of God has to say. Your children are seeing you memorize God's Word. Your children are seeing you take personal responsibility for your family. And so when they see that, they don't feel like they have to go somewhere else to get teaching. They don't feel like they have to go somewhere else to find out what they need to know because they know they have a father who is searching the Word of God and loves God and is desiring to see his children grow in the Lord. And that's precious. So that's why we do what we do. Now, fathers, you should take this responsibility very personally. You should care because the Scriptures bear out that one day you will stand before God and you will answer to God for your family whether they have accepted that truth or not, you're responsible to teach it. So number one, fathers, be your family's spiritual leader. Don't abdicate that position to your wife. Don't abdicate that position to your pastor. Don't let me be the spiritual leader of your family, folks. Fathers, be the spiritual leader of your families. Number two, be a spiritual leader by example. We've talked about this already. Fathers, be a spiritual leader by example. We learn in verses 4-6 through six that being a spiritual leader is not simply what you tell your family to do. It is what you do. Certainly you should tell your family to read the Bible. And you can tell them to read the Bible even if you don't. You can tell them to memorize verses even if you don't. You can tell them to do right even if you don't. But if you choose this method of leadership, what we would call do as I say, not as I do, Leadership, it's very likely that the thoughts of your children would sound something like this. I can't wait till I'm old enough not to have to read my Bible anymore. I can't wait till I'm old enough not to have to memorize the Bible anymore. I can't wait till I'm old enough to do the things dad does or say the things dad does or watch those things that dad does. And because they are seeing a discrepancy between what you're saying is right and what you're doing, they think that what, what you're supposed to do as a child, reading your Bible and memorizing, is not the same as what you're supposed to do as an adult. And so they divide their life into the spiritual and the carnal, and they divide their days into the days where I have to do these things and the days where I don't have to do them anymore, because mom and dad don't do them, so there must come a point where I don't have to do these things anymore. There must come a point where I don't have to memorize Scripture anymore. There must come a point where I don't have to study the Bible for this amount of time every day anymore. Because mom and dad don't. 
And so we need to lead, yes, but fathers, we need to lead by example. You all know what it's like to have a hypocritical leader. A boss that expects things of you but does the exact opposite. Have you ever had one of those? A boss that comes in and tells you what the regulations are and then you see him break it ten times a day. You've had those types of bosses. You don't like hypocritical bosses. We've all experienced a government leader that says things and does the opposite. We know that that these government leaders are hypocritical. They're saying one thing, they're doing another. They're campaigning on certain promises that we know they're not going to keep. There's no respect there. And what is that teaching us? Well, it's teaching us that we can campaign one way and as long as we make it into, as long as we reach our goal, well, then it doesn't matter what we do after we reach our goal. That's what they're teaching. We know that's what they're teaching. Fathers, regardless of what you're telling your children to do spiritually, do your actions cause your children to wonder if you really believe what you're telling them? Do your actions cause your children to see such a disparity between what you say and what you do that they're just plain not interested in what you say because what you do does not authenticate what you say? When you seek to lead spiritually but you don't set a proper spiritual example, there are several risks that you run in your family. Number one, you run the risk of raising up a bunch of hypocrites. A bunch of kids that look great on the outside, but inside they're a mess. Number two, you run the risk of raising up a bunch of children who are resentful of having to do things morally that never seemed authentic to them. And they can't wait to cast off those moral restraints as soon as possible. You also run the risk of introducing your children to a lifeless form of Christianity that is focused upon behavior and rules rather than focused on what is true, which is a relationship, a thriving, loving relationship with God. If your children think Christianity is just a bunch of rules, then there's something wrong. Because that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is a thriving relationship with a living God. And we run the risk of alienating our children from that understanding if we are simply telling them to do a bunch of things and living a double standard in our own lives. So be the man that leads by example in your home. Do you want your family to cultivate a lifelong desire to attend and be active in church? Well, then be the kind of father that has cultivated in his own heart a a, a longing and a desire to be in church, to be among God's people, to make it a priority in your lives. If you want your children to make it a priority, then show them what it is to make it a priority. Do you want your family to develop a lifelong desire to memorize God's Word and read God's Word? Then show your children what it is to memorize God's Word. Show your children what it is to read God's Word. Show them by example that this is something that a Christian that loves the Lord does because he wants to know God's Word and he wants to be close to the Lord and he wants to be constantly renewed in his understanding of God's expectations for him. Do you want to cultivate in your children an evangelistic mindset? Well, then show them what it means to evangelize. Show them what it means to hand a tract to the person at the grocery store or to place a tract at your table after you eat a meal. The little things. You don't have to be the most outgoing person ever. Uh, God has gifted us in various ways. You don't have to be the kind of guy that um, goes out and does things that are, are so outside of his own personality that, that you get weak need or you throw up or anything of, of those sorts of things because there are people that have trouble in society uh, with interaction to that degree. But there are things that you can do to show your children that you take God's Word seriously. Fathers, are you doing them? Be your family's spiritual leader. Point number one. Number two, be a spiritual leader by example. Final point. Point number three. Create a lifestyle of God awareness in your home. Fathers, create a lifestyle of God awareness in your home. This is what God was telling Israel to do in Deuteronomy. These men were first and foremost called to have an intense, genuine, and deep personal love for God and for His Word. Then they were told to be dedicated to passing this love from one generation to the next. And one of the primary ways for them to do that 
was to cultivate a culture of God awareness in their home. But how does this play out, play out practically, men? Well, maybe that means that at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or both, you have a time where your family spends time in prayer or in Bible study. Maybe this means you take your free time when you're out working in the garden or when you're going for a walk or when you're driving somewhere and you've got 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You take that time to sing or to review memory verses or to talk about spiritual things with your family. Talk about what Pastor said last week. Talk about what you've been reading in your Bible that morning. Maybe it does mean putting important Scripture verses around your home. Maybe you have to put uh, an important verse on the television that reminds your children what's right and wrong before their eyes. Maybe you need to put verses up right, before, right near the exit of your house that remind them how they ought to act when they leave the house. The way that they ought to interact with the world around them. Maybe after that movie you watch or after that video game or um, after reading that story at night, you discuss the parts of it that were right and the parts of it that were wrong, the parts of it that aligned itself with God's Word and the parts of it that did not. Maybe after church, you should spend some time discussing what pastor said and seeing how much your children understood. These are all ways that we can create a lifestyle of God-awareness in our homes. And those are just suggestions. However, the Holy Spirit would lead you to do it. The fact of the matter is, it should be done. And fathers, these responsibilities rest upon your shoulders. Yes, your wife may help you enact some of these. She may have many of the good ideas. She may be the one that sees the nitty-gritty of how your children are doing spiritually. But everything that your wife does should be under the umbrella of the, de the desire that you have placed in your family's life to see these things accomplished. Everything that your wife does as far as directing your children in Bible study and in memorization should be the, um, under the umbrella of your expectation of your wife and your family that they would be pursuing God. And that's why the title of the sermon was Fathers, the Family's Spiritual rudder. Now, Father, you are only a part of your family's overall construction. But you are the rudder. You are the part that determines which way your family goes. And if you're not, you ought to be. You ought to be the part that is turning your family in the direction that God wants it to go. And you can God has given you that authority, but moreover, men, God has given you that responsibility. May God help us to live out the responsibility that He has given to us. Number one, be your family's spiritual leader. Number two, be a spiritual leader by example. And third and finally, men, create a lifestyle of God-awareness in your home. Let's pray together.